At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. Welcome to the Lombardi Line, presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross alongside Mike Pritchard here from South Point Casino and Hotel in fabulous Las Vegas. And Pritchard, it's great to have you back. we got our Wednesday show, which means we have Steve Mackinan is going to join us later on this hour. We always know Steve has incredible numbers for us here at Point Spread Weekly. And hour number two, Lou Finicaro going to join the program again. A huge UFC 274 card uh, this weekend. Did a little uh, shameless plug. First strike, first look yesterday with Ricardo Lamas who uh, has fought for the title back in the day at 145 pounds, got his thoughts. It's out there now wherever you get your podcasts. So great UFC information coming all week here on the network. But, Pritch, I haven't seen you since the NFL draft. Right. And I want to just get, before we get into NBA and everything else, how was your NFL draft weekend here in Las Vegas? Because I thought the city put their best foot forward. Oh, my city did. So I'm from Vegas, right? And so I couldn't wait for this event to be here. Uh, uh, We got – uh, caught up in the COVID situation, yeah. so we had to wait another year, but that's okay. Uh, I, I thought Vegas represented themselves very, very well. I know the NFL was happy. Uh, everybody was enthusiastic to be here, mm-hmm. too, uh, and it was a show. I mean, there's three calendar events uh, on the NFL calendar, uh, and Vegas is in the forefront of all of it. No like, you, you think about the history of the game, uh, that's the Hall of Fame situation. Mm-hmm. So you got the Raiders playing in a Hall of Fame game, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, you got the present state of the National Football League, which is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is going to be here in 2024. Uh, And then we just had the NFL draft, which represents the future uh, of the NFL. So Vegas is right there, and I couldn't be happier uh, with the results. And certainly my draft, from a betting standpoint, was fantastic as well. Woo! There it is. So Pritch, we're going to get uh, (laughs) knee-deep into the NFL draft and certainly how it affects some of the future plays that we're Mm going to see in the NFL and how we adjust those things after what we saw this weekend in Las Vegas. But I'm with you. I thought the city did a great job of it. I know a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe Vegas should be a permanent destination for the NFL draft. That's up to the commissioner. We'll see how they decide and what they decide to do going forward. Uh, Let's talk about a little little bit about the NBA playoffs Mm -hmm. and what we saw last night and what we might see going forward. Uh, The Celtics, they do bounce back in a big way against the Bucks last night, 109.86. So those tickets are cashed. If you had the C's laying the four, you cast that number rather easily, as well as the under, uh, which was 216 to close 215 and a half. Uh, and that was really never in jeopardy here. And, you know, it's interesting because if you watch game one and then kind of conversely look at game two, I don't know which one we can expect going forward when we mm. go to Milwaukee. Was game one the anomaly for the Seas, or was game two the anomaly for the Bucks? How do you read what we saw? That's a great perspective to have right now, because I I couldn't tell you who's a better team. I mean, this is serious basketball at the time. And uh, I I thought Boston allowed Milwaukee to bully them, to intimidate them as well, which was ironic or or a coincidence (laughs) in terms of of the fact that against the Nets – they were the bully, right. or, or they took it to the Nets. The Nets could never really adjust to it. So I was surprised at that in that first game uh, as the Bucks were able to assert themselves and get that win of defending champions, right? Uh, so if you're the Celtics, why are you letting down that way? 
Uh, some guys needed to step up, mm. and one in particular was Jalen Brown. Boy, boy. So we saw him step up. Now, after that first game, I questioned his uh, attitude a little bit because of, you know, I, I got a nagging this or I got a nagging that. I'm like, this is a playoffs, man. Dude, play. Just play. Let's go. Play. Assert yourself. And then Marcus Smart wasn't available, which was a blow. So I, I love your perspective. I don't know. Um, I, I think this is a seven-game series. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know – which team is is going to gain control? Which team has the upper hand? I, I think Milwaukee, uh, they're feeling it themselves as players. Hey, we got we got one right on the road. Now they're coming back to our place. But then you got Boston, who has a pedigree and a mindset to say, hey, we can get one too back in Milwaukee. Which which stepping up the way that they did in Game Two was was incredible. That's why I think there's some fear here if you're Milwaukee and you go, well, we got the first one now. Well, now you got to hold serve at home mm -hmm. at both games here to make that really pay off at what happened in game one. And Giannis had similar numbers. He had a triple-double in game one. It came up a little bit short on that, 28-9-7. and seven, But it didn't have the same impact as the Seeds kind of jumped out early on them with that defense. And that's right now what we're seeing is the team that's playing better defense so far. In game one, it was the Bucks. In game two, it was clearly the Seas, mm -hmm. right? Those low-scoring affairs that we're seeing, the offenses right now are being stifled. The unders are, are the solid play right now in the series, and I'm, I'm sure that we're going to see some adjustments here coming in game three because right now, defense is the reason why these teams have each split their, their first two games. Right, so starting and staying with defense here, I mean, you think about the height uh, that Milwaukee has. Uh, that could be intimidating a little bit, but yeah. you saw the Celtics attack that. Uh, and kick out as well and knock down shots. So uh, the first game, I didn't see that. And I was wondering, okay, where is that? Where is that aggressiveness? So, uh, And then on the other side, too, you, you think about the Celtics and their defense. That can be bothersome, too, for right. Milwaukee from a height standpoint and, and a physicality standpoint. So obviously the adjustments are going to be there. What What's going to determine this series is obviously the role players, too. Uh, like, you know, Lopez and Milwaukee is going to be better. He's going to shoot the rock oh, better. Two points, six boards. That's it. For your I know. Man. I know. But that's going to be that's going to be different in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, and then uh, same thing with with the Celtics. I mean, is there going to be a regression with some of their role players on the road? Uh, we'll see. I mean, Allen it can knock down shots for Milwaukee, too. So you have those situations as a better that I'm looking for uh, and, and looking to see if I can find some advantages as we move forward through the series. And again, you can get it right now, uh, plus 130 if you think the series is going to go all seven games. Mm -hmm. And and right now, I'm with you. This kind of feels like it's going to be a knockdown drag out affair. I will be stunned if we see kind of like this free-flowing basketball that we kind of see between Memphis and Golden State, which we'll get to in a second. I don't know that we're ever going to see that in this series. It feels like it's going to be kind of, you know, Boston can get it rolling right. offensively, it feels like, and Giannis is still Giannis. They're not really a big transitional team, though. No. I mean, so Boston, and so to your point, it's like when, when would Boston capture the pace of the game, right? Uh, or do they feel more comfortable executing? Uh, and, and so with those type of players, Brown – and Tatum, because I think if you're Boston, you feel like, okay, Tatum can match right. the output or the production no that doubt. we're going to see from Giannis. Uh, where else can we get that level of production? That's Jalen Brown. That's a great point, because, again, Tatum had 29 to equal mm -hmm. Giannis's 28, and then you add the 30 from Jalen Brown. You go, uh-oh, Milwaukee, where are you going to come up with that? So uh, Holiday had 19 last night, but clearly not enough uh, to get that done. So 1-1 as they go back to Milwaukee. We're seeing about the Bucks, a three-point favorite here in game three. 
We're not gonna play game three till Saturday. No. <laughs> Does it feel like a week away? Yeah, like, hey, we gotta wait three whole nights before we, have, we get more of this series. One thing you you know uh, about the NBA and the playoffs is they'll drag it out. out. <laughs> they'll drag they? it out. Oh, yes, absolutely. My goodness. Okay, so we gotta wait a little bit to get to game three because so far the first two games, one-one, uh, nothing really decided here as they go back to Milwaukee. I mentioned out west what the Grizzlies did last night to Golden State. They get the 106-101 win. The under does cash here, 227 and a half. And Memphis getting two points at home is what it closed at. It was about a point and a half throughout the day and then mm-hmm. went up to two before tip. And they not only uh, cover the two, but they get the win uh, flat out here to even up the series at one game apiece. Pritch, I want to say something happened on the way at, at the game ended and John Morant was kind of dribbling it out. And he and Steph Curry passed each other. I don't know if you saw it on the court. I did. And just he said something to Steph that kind of this look of like, we're not going anywhere. And I don't know exactly what was said, but I loved it. Yeah, me too. Like, is this me a too. young gun yeah. looking at a guy that's going, you've already achieved what I'm right. trying to. And I look, I all due respect to what you've done, but we're trying to win this thing. I, I kind of like the way the feel of the series is going so far. The young kid's not showing their due deference, if you will, to the older guy. No, he's not. Uh, and they needed him. They needed him to be jaw. Uh, and he was for sure. I, I mean, 45 three-pointers. Let's start with the bad. I mean, that's incredible <laughs> right there. But you got to think about the environment of a young team, too. Right. Uh, for obviously, feeling the energy. I'm talking about Memphis. Uh, they cannot shoot 45 three-pointers on the road no. uh, against Golden State. And Golden State wasn't – and Clay didn't shoot the ball well. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, Steph was was okay. You, know, you, you took yeah. some shots that – you okay, that's Steph Curry. He's going to take those shots. Um, but I, I thought the way that the Grizzlies played is the way that they want to play. They want to step up, be in physical, which if you look at both games, they're both physical in nature. So it's like, okay, from a total standpoint – Maybe you lean towards unders. We'll see what the what those totals are going to be moving forward if the books adjust to that. But I, I thought, you know, from the Boston standpoint, they were in a desperate situation. Same thing with Memphis. And if you look at Memphis, the way that they lost that game, mm-hmm. as opposed to the way that they should have won it, I, I think they were uh, feeling that a little bit, and Jaw in particular. No doubt about it, because I, I felt like these games were almost flipped. Like, game one was the game that Memphis should have won, mm-hmm. and then Golden State's got that four-point lead late. And they can't hold it. And John Morant with 47, 8, and 8 was absolutely spectacular. But there was a point late in the game when Memphis was down. And I three three consecutive possessions. Ja went one-on-one against Steph, Mm -hmm. took him to the rack. Mm -hmm. Then he did the same thing to Klay Thompson. And then he almost broke Jordan Poole's ankles. I mean, Jordan Poole spun around like (laughs) a top. And, you know, when he was saying, you know, they can't guard me, Mm -hmm. they can't guard him, Rich. Like, there's there's nobody. And Klay Thompson is supposed to be this great all-time defender. He can't do anything but lay off and and make him shoot the three, which he did and kept knocking him down. So it's like they don't have an answer for John Morant, which is odd when you look at Golden State and you go, well, how do you match up with the Splash Brothers? The inverse is true here. They can't match up with John Morant. And that's something that – you know, I don't know if he can go for 47, 8, and 8 every time out, but Ja just took that over, and I wonder now, going back to Golden State, I thought this was going to be a longer series than people thought. I think we're going 7, potentially, in this series, too. Right. I don't see any let-up from this kid. They might not be the prettiest way that they get it done. They turn it over, mm-hmm. maybe not the cleanest games, but my goodness, the effort is there, and the will certainly is there as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Bain's got to shoot the ball better, too. Yes. I don't know what's going on with him, but I think from a jaw standpoint, uh, he's going to create, uh, but they got to be within um, 
in, in, within room. They, they they can't let that game get out of hand, in right. other words, for Jaw to be able to create late and have that possession situation that favors Memphis. Uh, Desmond Bain, only five points yeah. last night. Apparently, there, there's rumors of a bad back, but mm-hmm. like you say, it's playoff basketball. Right. we got to go out there and play. <laughs> it is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, gone with in-game betting, boosted out specials, and much, much more. Download the BetMGM app today or stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-522-4700. When we come back, we'll take a look at what's going on in the NBA tonight and more insight from the NFL draft and how it affects the NFL going forward with all your future plays. Come on back. It's the Lombardi Line right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. to get you ready for a horse racing's triple crown with a great offer for new customers. Sign up now with the promo code VEGAS22 and bet at least $25 in the Kentucky Derby. You're going to receive $25 in free bets for both the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes races. You must sign up with First Bet by May 7th using the code VEGAS22 to qualify. Register today with code VEGAS22 at vcin.com slash horses. Back alongside Mike Pritchard, I'm Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line right here on Vston very quickly before we move on to tonight's game. Matt Santos, our crack producer here. Of course, our conversation we were having about John Morant mm-hmm. and what he might have said to Steph Curry. And apparently, if we're going to kind of par- uh, in parenthesis and we'll just kind of paraphrase what we think he might have said. Okay. It was to the effect of, Steph, you can't guard me. Mm-hmm. You never could guard me. And you never can guard me. Now, we don't know if this is exactly how it went down and that we'll kind of adapt each other up. Right. But again, if this brings out the dog in <laughs> Steph Curry, if you need to do that, because he seems like a mild-mannered mm-hmm. sort here, right? But this guy that's won multiple NBA titles, this guy that's going in the Hall of Fame, maybe is an all-time, you know, make your pick of best point guard ever. I'm sure Steph will be in those conversations. But here's John Morant apparently saying something to that effect. What do you make of it, Pritch, from a competitive standpoint? Because to me, I absolutely love it. Oh, I love it too. I mean, I think as a player, you're looking for that alpha. You are looking for that that presence on the floor uh, that can certainly knock down any type of intimidation that if you are the Golden State Warriors, you want to apply. Yeah. Uh, you know, Draymond's going to talk. Uh, do you have anybody else that can respond to that Ooh. from a talking standpoint? They do. Not only that, but he can back it up too. Uh, and he and Steph can't cover him though. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> he was speaking the truth. Right. And, and but I love the fact that a young player um, has that level of confidence though. Now he is a talkative guy, but if that's his game and, and he flourishes that way, then I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hinder it. I wouldn't hold him back. And that's that's the identity of Memphis right now, and they need to uh, keep that going. Again, you've seen it. We've talked about it before on the show. I'm always fascinated by it. In your sport, obviously, when you play with guys like Andre Risen and oh. Deion Sanders, like there there are guys that are just going to. That's who they are. Right. If they don't talk, there's something wrong. Right. It's not fabricated. Mm-hmm. So if that's who John Moran is. I, I don't want to coach that out of the no. kid, right? No. And certainly Steph is, does not appear to be that way. Draymond is that way. So it's kind of you, you can do it different 
different ways and be great players. So I don't. I just hope that nothing comes of this. Like, oh my goodness, he's disrespecting Steph Curry. No. That's just John Morant being a competitor, yeah. right? No, that's just being a competitor. I mean, I don't know anybody that would take that the wrong way. Good. Now, I mean, you got injuries though. Yeah. Uh, Gary Payton, uh, the second. I mean, the, the injuries and, uh, and things like that. I mean, I, I think. Now that, that well, I could tell Steph was bothered by that. The whole team was bothered by that. Yes. And, and so, but it's not going to get out of hand. I, I think. You know, the NBA tried to explain it away, or great players are trying to explain it away. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the intent, it's hard to, to quantify intent because he did wind up, right? And so, okay, I'm going in for a hard foul, but I, I am not trying to hurt anybody. And I played in a sport where I had the power to hurt somebody on every play, and mm. I knew that. But I never had that intent, that ill will within me. And so sure. uh, you try to play within the rules, but you try to play physical within the rules as well. That's a great point. And Steve Kerr did say after the game he thought that uh, Dylan Brooks broke the code. Mm. And then, of course, I, I love watching the, the NBA and TNT guys. And, you know, right. you get Shaq and Barkley and those guys, Kenny Smith. And those guys played at the highest levels. And they kind of differed on it. And, mm. and, you know, Shaq was like, well, Kerr's kind of right, but he's kind of wrong. And Barkley's like, he didn't break the code. He didn't think the intent was there, but how do you legislate intent? But the other kid now, Gary Payton, too, he does have a broken crack, elbow. Yeah, so yeah. we don't know what, what's going to happen there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes does the intent matter, but the result is still the result. Yeah, you don't like the result. Um, obviously, it's a highly emotional situation, too. And, and you, you think the players have calmed down after the game. But when you hit, get the news that, that, okay, one of your teammates got a broken elbow, mm. and if you cur – uh, a, a key player on his roster has got a broken elbow. Yeah, you don't, you do not like that, and, and so you speak up about it. But I, I think Memphis will understand that uh, they cannot let the guard down. They still have to play physical, and that's part of it too. I mean, if you're Golden State, you want to take the the physical nature away from Memphis. Sure. Maybe maybe make them think that they need to be more guarded out there. But uh, the coach uh, certainly for Memphis and the Grizzlies, they're going to have to uh, keep it up. Jaw's going to have to keep up that attitude, that that mindset, as well as the physical play on the floor. All I know is this series is getting much more interesting for very different reasons here, mm -hmm. but the play on the floor has been spectacular to right. watch Ja and Steph go at it uh, and company. All right, let's get to the Eastern Conference here uh, with the 76ers against the Heat. And you look at this tonight, and right now this game opened uh, with Miami at 9, mm -hmm. uh, the over-under at around 206.5. After what we saw in game one, and this come down a little bit, which surprises me to a degree, to a, a full point down to 8, and now that totals at 207. And a half, so it's gone up a little bit. W would you have any faith that Doc R Glenn Rivers, as they're calling him in Philadelphia now, not to, that th they're going to figure this out? That without Joel Embiid, they're going to figure out a way to manufacture some offense because the total is going up mm -hmm. slightly, and right now money is coming in on the Sixers. Yeah, I mean, from a betting standpoint, I <laughs> taking the nine points. I, I think that's something that's highly attractive, and obviously it was. And now it's at eight, and, and I'm thinking eight could be too rich too. I mean, this game two situation, and I know Philly's going back uh, home, uh, and they're thinking, anticipating Embiid returning and for game three. Uh, for game three, right? But you know, say game two, like. Uh, here you have game two, but yet Philly's going back home, and so that's going to energize them. That's why laying, you know, nine points in the beginning, I, I couldn't do that. Mm. Laying eight points, I think, is still questionable for me. Uh, but on the other side, for Philly, can they adjust without Embiid? Because they're trying to play the perfect game. They're saying all the right things in terms of we can't turn the ball over, we, got, we can't get out rebounded. Well, wait a minute, mm. Embiid's not on the floor, and we know Harden's Harden's old. He's old now, and Maxi is an energizer guy that I think you can get some buckets from there. But from a matchup standpoint, you cannot match up with what the Heat have. And they have the luxury of having Hero coming off the bench and knocking down 
20 points every night or that he's out there. So that matchup alone right there is bothersome, I think, or troublesome for, for Philly. Okay, you just, to me, opened up the Pandora's box when you said James Harden is old. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, and I, and I was talking about this last night with Scott Seidenberg on the look ahead here in Beeson. If this is James Harden now and he's not hurt, then you really have a problem. If this is peak James Harden 2022 and he goes at, gets at 17 points, right? Like, you need James Harden tonight in game two mm-hmm. to be James Harden that we thought he was. If he's just old, if this is James Harden, to your point, right. they get a real big problem. <laughs> they do because they don't have Embiid out there as well. So, uh, I mean, you're looking for contribution from Green. Uh, good luck with that. You know, Harris at times, I got you, but Maxi certainly can go off. Right. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, Harden's a liability too, though. Uh, and, and so not only offensively, like once in a blue moon, we can see Harden go back to being James Harden. Take you off the dribble, sure, do whatever sure. he wants to do. And it's tonight once in a blue moon. I, I think that's one way to look at it from a betting standpoint. But uh, I, I think laying eight points uh, right now is, is a little too rich, though. Because, you know, you hear those whispers, well, he's just hurt. That's mm-hmm. the problem. You better hope that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you <laughs> actually, if you're a sixer backer uh, and a fan, and not just tonight going forward, you better hope that this is not 100% peak James Harden. Because if, if this is peak James Harden, you really have bigger issues going forward. Well, we haven't seen it. Right. Like, we, since he's been with Philly, there was a, there was a, a spurt. But, At the beginning. Right. But – it hasn't really emerged from a consistency standpoint. Boy, history's going to look back in that trade and go, who won that trade? I don't know. Ben Simmons hasn't played, and this is James Harden. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that one. It's going to be fascinating. Game two tonight with Miami, though, uh, laying eight points at home in that game two scenario. Let's go out west, Mavs and Suns. And I know some people here at the network thought that this could be a more competitive series mm-hmm. than we thought. Now, Luka went off in game one and you know goes for a plus 40, and yet not only can they not win the game – they, they don't cover the number. They almost six covered and, it. Almost that, <laughs> that backdoor cover here. <laughs> and the number right there is about six, two, sixteen mm-hmm. and a half. Do you think it's more of the same tonight in game two or a different script? Well, I mean, they almost covered it. And, and I think uh, you give Dallas credit because Luka was so dominant. He has been so dominant was, with the yeah. ball. Uh, and they're looking for production from other players. But to me, it's like, how do you get that production uh, if the guys can't settle in? Mm. You know, I mean, because Luca, I mean, he can create. He does. He can create shots and looks for guys. They got to knock him down. But but he's such a volume player, and he holds the ball for so long. <laughs> How do you get into the game? And, and I wonder if kids can see that on, on t- tape, certainly against the Suns, too. I mean, the Suns know that. Right. Uh, the Suns know that they have the advantage, too, from a size standpoint. They can score offensively, uh, certainly rebounding, too. But uh, it's different for Dallas with this game, there's a series against the Suns than it was against Rudy Gobert in Utah, right? right? So uh, they're going to have to get other contribution from other players, and uh, you look on the list, who's going to step up from a from a player prop standpoint? Maybe we see a surge there, but I wonder if, if Kidd and, and the Dallas Mavericks will take Luka off the ball and so much focus away from him because he's so ball dominant. The, the guy that still stands out to me is Chris Paul for mm-hmm. Phoenix in that, you know, I'm kind of looking at James Harden and saying, if you're still James Harden, then go take over a game, because because Chris Paul still does that. Right. Like, he'll still go out there and give you a 14 for 14 historic night. And he says, I can still score. I just choose not to. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like when you kind of compare some of these older stars, like Chris Paul's still getting it done to that degree. So if Devin Booker is either hurt or he isn't having it, Chris Paul's like, I got your back. Right. Because you got a high percentage scoring situation inside with Aiden. 
Uh, and then you got two superstars uh, on the perimeter who can create as they want to, too. So it's a tough, it's a tall order for Dallas. I mean, I give them credit for almost covering in the first right. game. Uh, I'm, been I'm still gathering intel in this one, though. Okay. To be determined there. When we come back, Steve Mackin is going to join us. Some uh, fascinating numbers on Point Spread Weekly uh, in regards to the draft and how you kind of look back in some old drafts and kind of grade them and see how we did for this year's draft as well. Come on back. It is the Lombardi line right here in VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Kentucky Derby is Saturday, and right now, VEASAN is offering you a special $9.99 Kentucky Derby betting guide with previews of all the horses and jockeys for every race, plus best bets for the entire weekend, including the run for the roses. Pre-order your copy now for only $9.99 at VEASAN.com slash Derby Guide. That's VEASAN.com slash Derby Guide. Back alongside Mike Pritchard, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN. And Pritchard, it's so funny, and I'm sure you get this wherever you go, is, hey, the draft's over. Give me a grade on the Raiders. Give me a grade on the Ravens. Like, you just pick a team and throw out the grades. That's what we do now in, in this kind of culture. And it's hard to do that. And it almost feels like the best way to do it is you wait. You see how things play out for a couple of years and almost readjust those grades. Because isn't it hard, you know, two days removed from the NFL draft here to go, yeah, overall that team gets a blank grade. Yeah, well, what are you grading off of, too? I mean, uh, I think from an evaluation standpoint, everybody's going to have different opinions. Mm. Uh, you're not going to know what a team did and how successful they are until you see the product on the field. That's all that matters. And we always say that Steve Mackinan makes us smarter each week right here on the Lombardi line. you got to follow him on Twitter as I do. at Steve Mackinan, Point Spread Weekly Editor. And, Steve, you've kind of done that exercise. Uh, when you look at SI, Sports Illustrated, through the years here, can you explain to the people what, exactly this exercise is because it feels like you've gone back to 2016 and now with hindsight you can give better grades for what those drafts were was that the idea yeah i think what i tried to do here is uh, see if there was any correlation between if you want to call it the draft success as judged by uh, si and the uh, results of uh, teams on the field uh in particularly in the one two three four year windows to see if, hey, we got a draft grade A, that means we're going to be good next year. You know what I mean? I tried to find that out. And unfortunately, as you as you dig into this deeper, there's nothing that's concrete predictive. And it, it almost seems to be more of an entertainment piece uh, than anything else. That said, there are some things you can maybe predict for certain teams uh, by the way they're patterning. And, and I found some of that out as well. You know, Steve, it really is fascinating because just from the history standpoint, uh, my own experience, too, uh, you know, watching the Dallas Cowboys collect all those players for a number of years and they turn <laughs> into a dynasty or or the Denver Broncos from a uh, draft standpoint really didn't knock it out the park. But mm. they had a mini uh, dynasty in the 90s there as well. But then uh, just recently, too, I mean, you think about certain teams that a collection of drafts have allowed them to be successful for a, a number of years. And so like the evaluation from SI and what they're grading off of, I don't know, because again, what we are just <laughs> talking about, like how do you really know about these grades until you see the product on the field? That's an interesting point you bring up there about Dallas, because if you think of some of the teams that have in recent years that have been known to maybe trade down to get mm -hmm. more picks, you, you, you think of new England, uh, you think of the Packers, 
uh, teams like that, th- these are teams that are go for a volume of pick type of strategy in drafts, and they've been widely successful on the field, as we know, over the past 10, uh, 20 years. So I guess if I can infer what I'm, I'm picking up, if, if, uh, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, Steve, that I shouldn't run to the window on the New York Jets because everybody's telling me they aced the draft, right? They nailed it this year, so maybe those win totals are going to be adjusted. Is that kind of the cautionary tale here is even though – because it does feel like an entertainment exercise to your point that maybe let's not get, put our skis ahead here and think that this is going to be an adjusted win total now of a win, win and a half. You probably don't want to go that far, but there is some positivity regarding the Jets' recent drafts. Their last three grades are A, B plus, A minus. Mm. So if you look at it like that, they are starting to collect maybe a group of, of young talent that maybe could uh, form the basis for, for some more successful years in the coming years. You know, Steve, what, what I find incredibly fascinating and that I'm going to use actually as a better uh, is the six year draft grade too. Uh, and you have this collection. So for instance, the green Bay Packers uh, over the last six years, uh, they have a nice grade here. Uh, and then you think about the back to back to back 13 win seasons. Now it coincides with the fact that they have Aaron Rodgers too. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking at the Broncos right now, who's had a high grade over the last six years. And, and from a draft standpoint, uh, and then they add Russell Wilson. Uh, now, he's not Aaron Rodgers, I get that, but that caliber quarterback uh, combined with the Broncos kind of drafting well over the last few years, uh, I like that equation. Yeah, you said it, Michael. I, th- I think the, the key to this whole <laughs> NFL deal is getting that solid quarterback that can win you games and putting talent around him that's not overpriced. And you do that by adding young players that are that are quality players. And obviously we do that through the draft. Free agency probably is not as good of a weapon to use for that, except for when you talk about the Broncos, free agency, they added the quarterback they have not had. I agree with you in the sense that the Broncos probably made the biggest move that they have in many years by adding Wilson as compared to the work they did in the draft. Okay, I'm confused when I look <laughs> at the Chicago Bears, okay, because I see here on, on uh, with the analysis that back in 2019, they get an A grade, okay, and that was coming off a 2018 uh, record of 5-11. and 11. And then you look at what they had in the 2021 A grades, and there are the Bears, and they're coming off an 8-8. Eight and eight. So should this give people in the Windy City, Steve, Real hope and optimism that if I'm playing those over win totals this year, that maybe there's uh, some proof in the pudding here. Unfortunately, it's it's two different circumstances here. You, they that A grade they got in 2018, they went from uh, up up by seven wins in the standings that year. Last year they had an A minus grade and they dropped by two games. It, there's a lot of other things that can affect obviously what a team does on the field. And uh, especially with the coaching change that made this year, there's going to be a lot of dynamics in play there. So I wouldn't be too overzealous about jumping on the bears at this point. <laughs> then also you point out uh, B level grades, uh, essentially the average marks uh, actually fare the worst. And so mm. I'm not using the T word, which tank, because that's, <laughs> that's kind of sensitive that's right. right now in the national football league. Right. But there's some teams out there where you scratch your head, but uh, there's other people with opinions that they had a good, a successful draft. Uh, I'm looking right at Atlanta. Mm. I, I don't know if that's the case in terms of a successful draft. We'll see. We'll see on the field. Uh, but also, you know, that thought process of we're building something in the future 
uh, and maybe looking and eyeing on a quarterback in next year's draft. Yeah, there's some, uh, if you want to call them a varying signs of which way Atlanta is going right now mm -hmm. uh, in terms of drafting and, and staying the course. I mean, it, it, you, in my opinion, you got to make, you got to make a choice either way uh, at this point, the way the Falcons franchise been seven, seven, four and seven wins the last uh, four seasons, not exactly uh, a reason to think you're going to be a lot better this season. You know, and I, I, I take homage of what I see up there in that graphic when you have those Dallas Cowboys who went 6-10 and 10 in 2020 and now maybe uh, potentially uh, looking for a decline here, Steve, in 2022. There are a lot of factors going against the Cowboys. I, I think, again, we'll see how this draft plays out. I don't think people think their offseason has been particularly good as well. Nobody's repeated in the NFC East, I believe, since 2004, which is a ridiculous stat in and of itself. So is there reasons now that the Cowboys might be a team headed for regression uh, this upcoming season <laughs> you know I, i'm actually going to get behind you on this one day because the last three drafts have been solid sometimes that's how you build the team and you add around and you got dak prescott there they got the quarterback they want they got pieces all over the offense that they like uh obviously the defense was a completely different animal last season to the point where they were good enough to win 12 games so uh, i wouldn't discount that c plus grade too much i mean it uh, th they're in a good spot here, I believe. Uh, the, and uh, despite the real high level grades on the other teams in the uh, East, there's a lot of, of ground those other teams have to make up. All right, Steve, let me stay right there in the NFC East then for one more question here with those Eagles, because I feel like everybody right now is toasting Philadelphia. Like, wow, wow. Obviously, the A.J. Brown deal is a, is a huge deal here. Uh, but what do you see when you look and kind of analyze those grades they've had in recent drafts for a correlation to this upcoming season? Okay, now this is where it gets confusing. You, you, you got they put a lot of great pieces around Jalen Hurts. That's not like putting a lot of great pieces around Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> They're still dealing with that same question whether that is your guy or not. So there it is. You see yeah. the Eagles now three dollars to win the East, and those numbers have shrunk here for, to win the NFC and the Super Bowl since draft weekend. Uh, in the correlation thereof. So, and that is the inexact science, Steve. And, and I think it's, it's great information as always is AJ Brown. It happened during the draft, but it's not really the draft per se. It's, it's all items around the draft, but uh, certainly I think Philadelphia, they are excited about their prospects in 2022. Hey, Steve, always appreciate it. Great stuff. As always point spread weekly, follow him on Twitter at Steve Mackin and we'll catch up at the end next week, Steve. All right, appreciate it, guys. There Thank he you. is. So, again, it, th that's the hard thing to quantify, right? Mm -hmm. It's like there are moves associated with the draft, but it's not exactly the Eagles didn't draft A.J. Right. Brown. They just traded for him. It's like Tua in Miami. Right. I mean, all around Tua, you're like, man, this team in Miami, I might want to bet on them. But then it's like, okay, the quarterback. It's the Jets. It's it looks Jets, good, right? on paper. good on paper. Is Zach Wilson the guy? Mm -hmm. Is he ready to take, sure. take those steps? So you got to kind of compartmentalize some of the things in the body work of the of the team mm -hmm. and yet is the quarterback ready to take that next leap in a couple of those cities we talked about like chicago miami and new york okay when we come back and talk more nfl draft and the repercussions of come on back it's the lombardi line right here on these and these sports betting no
Iggy knows who'll score that first basket of the game. We'll take a fearless shot in the NBA playoffs with BetMGM. Just placed a single first basket score prop bet on any NBA playoff game or create a parlay of multiple first basket score bets for different games. If your wager loses, you're going to receive your original stake back in free bets up to $25 with first basket score insurance from BetMGM. Now you can throw down that bold bet with confidence. Don't miss all the exciting NBA postseason action with the King of Sportsbooks featuring one-game parlays, live betting options, and daily boosted odds specials on some of the biggest showdowns in basketball. So visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or Older to wager, new and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued is non withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Nevada or New York. Dave Ross alongside Mike Pritchard. This is the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN. And a lot of news coming out of the NFL draft in the aftermath. And you Expect this from time to time with different teams and different incumbent quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. We've seen this in the past. Ben Roethlisberger, right? Mm -hmm. When they draft somebody else, they go, Ben, you going to get him up to speed? Because that's not my job. My job is to play quarterback. Well, they asked Ryan Tannehill that in Tennessee about Malik Willis. Of course, Malik Willis was the third-round pick uh, coming out of Liberty University this year. And he said, essentially, not my job. My job is to be the starting quarterback of this team. That's not my job to get the, the rookie up to speed. He then went on to say that his mind is still not even really on this upcoming season, that he's had to seek therapy uh, for sleepless nights since their playoff loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. So there was a lot to digest from Ryan Tannehill, who still is now the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. But let's start with not my job. <laughs> what is your job? Because – if you're the starting quarterback and they bring somebody else and you know what that's going to be like in the mm -hmm. wide receiver room now in the quarterback room at Tennessee and, you know, you got the coaches, there's, there's no cameras. It's just you, the coaches, and the quarterbacks. And you're supposed to be kind of one team, one goal, all that sort of thing. Is it fair for Tannehill to say, Mike, this is my job. My job is to keep my job. And he's going to have to kind of learn it on his own. I mean, okay, what is – Ryan Tannehill's job to win games. That's his job. That's his number one obligation. Win That's games. Right. Win football games. Um, there's so much surrounding the job at the quarterback position too, though. Uh, but if you're asking me as a player, and if I was on that team, I want Ryan Tannehill to help us win games. I don't want him wasting his time trying to mentor somebody who's not going to help us win games. Ooh. <laughs> but um, it, this is this – is, so many layers to this, though. Yes. Ryan Tannehill's in a lame duck situation. Lame duck meaning he's got zero guaranteed money on his contract after this year. He has zero leverage. And so he's also, because of his play, made the Tennessee Titans think about another quarterback. And that was Willis. And they got him in a great situation in the third round. No pressure on Willis. Right. At all, right? All the pressure is on Ryan Tannehill, but they, the Titans want him to respond to them. Like, the quarterback position is the ultimate alpha male. Like, you can have alphas, you can have egos, you can have all this um, attitude if you want, uh, certain mindsets, right? Uh, but, but the bottom line is your quarterback has to be empowered to be the alpha right. on the field. Uh, if you look at Aaron Rodgers, if you look at uh, Tom Brady, I mean, that, that's, that's true. Uh, and, and so for Ryan Tannehill, I don't think he's that, and the Tennessee Titans are indicating that. And it's up to Ryan Tannehill to understand that. You know, he's in a lame duck situation, and the only way he can fix it 
is to lead the Titans through the playoffs, not to the playoffs, but through the playoffs, uh, and, and get back to where he was when he got to the AFC Conference Championship game against Kansas City. You know, but some some reason he's lost his way this way, and mm. uh, you now you look at the Titans; they're looking at other players right now. It's very interesting historically. I, I you know I'm old. I can go back to Roger Staubach being upset that Tom Landry brought in Craig Morton, mm. and it didn't sit, sit well with with Captain America back then. Of course, everybody remembers Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, right? And Favre's basically it's it was icy. They're they're cool now, right? But I got to be honest with you, that doesn't bother me so much. But from a guy that's been in those locker rooms, and as a rookie yourself, when you came into the league, did you have somebody that said, you know what, Mike, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to mentor you. But somebody that, that like, not because you're going to take my job, mm-hmm. but I want to help you and us make this team better. And, make, and win games. And win games. Right, and that was Deion Sanders for me. I mean, Deion Sanders took me under his wing as soon as I landed in Atlanta and, uh, you know, showed me the ropes around the city and, and what goes on in the city and then certainly – uh, what it's like to be a professional athlete, mm. what's expected of you, uh, what, what my practice habits need to be, uh, how, how locked in I need to be during practice. That guy didn't take a rep off. Wow. Uh, and like you see guys, they'll take five or six reps in a row and then, okay, they'll take a break. He didn't want to take a break. Uh, and so you, you establish a work ethic that way. And then my next year, uh, Drew Hill, uh, who became a player for our, from, for our, our team, after leaving Houston, same mm. run and shoot system. Yeah. But he was a guy who played a slot receiver position like I did. And he just gave me so many more nuances of that slot position. So uh, I had great uh, players in terms of mentorship. But at the quarterback position, that's that it's different. you can't do that. It's right. Right. Because Brett Favre wanted to take Chris Miller's job. <laughs> and there was no friendship, right? And, and so. And you want that. You do want that at that position because you want that alpha on the field. And, and for Ryan Tannehill, it, it seems like he's not embracing that. Uh, and I think the Tennessee Titans understand that too because they're a very blue-collar organization. I'll give you a quick story. It's at the Senior Bowl, uh, and it's in Mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from a media standpoint, the travel arrangements aren't that, aren't that great, right? <laughs> right? We had to drive to Pensacola, Florida to catch a, a flight that's you're going to catch another flight from Nashville back to Denver at the time. On that flight from Pensacola to Nashville was the Tennessee Titans coaching staff. Okay. Instead of like a private jet at a mobile and all this stuff, no, they, they made that drive to Pensacola. Wow. And got on that flight to Nashville, commercial. Uh, and so it's very blue collar mm. up there. And, you know, you see what A.J. Brown gets traded to. And, and so for Tannehill, I, I don't know how he's lost his way that way, but certainly for the Titans and the success, if you're going to bet the Titans, uh, you want that quarterback situation squared away. But they look, they, they got it done. And credit Ryan Tannehill last year, because when you lose Derrick Henry the way they did mm-hmm. and still achieve what they were able to achieve, at least in the regular season, I know and I get it. It's, it clearly is affecting him, this playoff loss in the first round to Cincinnati because that didn't set well with them. They were the number one seed, all of those things. Right. But I, I do I, I love the point that you made, though, about Brett Favre in Atlanta, because Malik Willis, by all accounts, is a stand-up kid and very easy to get along with and all those things. But you kind of want him to go to Tennessee and be like, well, that's – I'm brought here to take that job. To take his job. Right, exactly. That's I mean, kind of the way it works. Yeah, it does work that way. And so here's the confidence you have as a player – when you get that mentorship or if you have the right attitude. So as soon as I signed my contract, um, they told me to go downstairs and get suited up and go out to practice. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go uh, after a little holdout. So I get warmed up and they, they ask me, are you ready to go? I'm like, yeah, well, get in here. So there's no better feeling 
than to go to the huddle and tap that guy on the shoulder and like, this is my job now. Oh! <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That is so empowering, though, for any young player to be able to tap that veteran on the shoulder and say, this is my job now. Wow. See, that's the reality. Because I think what happens is fans, media like, they go, man, Ryan Tannehill. Mm. Like, how can you say that? You should help out the kid. And, like, he's being honest with you. Right. And you know this from that exact situation that the veteran's going to hold on for as long as the veteran can hold on. And it's Malik Willis's job to tap Ryan Tannehill on the shoulder and say, coach wants to see you over exactly. here. It's now my huddle. And in particular at that position, because that's what Tennessee wants. They want that alpha at that position, uh, and therefore they're looking for it. And Tannehill, again, no leverage, lame duck situation. From a betting standpoint, I, I'm looking for Tennessee to correct that. Uh, I know I'm looking at their win total right here at 9.5, and, and, okay, benefited out in that division, maybe. Talented roster, maybe. But that quarterback situation Boy. feels unsettled right now. You know, and again, it's interesting because, you know, time is kind of a flat circle here in a way. And you look at Favre and his situation mm -hmm. with, with Rodgers. And look at Rodgers when he sees Jordan Love come in as a first-round pick. And, you know, <laughs> what that, that tap on the shoulder. Away. Right. So, so what did Rodgers have to do? Say, that kid's not taking right. my job and give me another contract. That's what Ryan Tannehill is charged with doing now. Mm -hmm. You don't like it? Fine. Then go out and prove it on the field and make Tennessee say, you know what? We made a bad decision in drafting Malik Willis because we already got the guy here, and that guy's Ryan Tannehill. Time will tell if right. that's going to be the way it plays out. But it doesn't have to be all friendly. You can be cordial, sure. but it's still my job, and I, it's my job is to hold off the rookie. And as a player, I should know that the culture here is blue-collar. i, I got to earn this each and every year. There's no entitlement here. Mm. Hell, I got my coaches flying commercial. A mobile after driving to Pensacola. So it's very blue collar that way. And you can appreciate that too. So uh, we'll see what happens with Tannehill. But, uh, you know, I, I don't blame him for saying what he said. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if I would have vocalized. That. I don't know if I would have said it. I, I would have probably kept that to myself. But but understand that I'm up against it. I'm in a lame duck situation. Absolutely fascinating what's happening there in Tennessee with those comments. But again, I think when you pull back the curtain like, like you do, Pritch, you understand that's the way it is in the NFL. And right. It's kind of like kill or be killed, and let's see who's going to be the king of the jungle there. All right, when we come back, let's talk about uh, rookies of the year, potentially, and maybe even one in Tennessee at the wide receiver position. Uh, come on back. It is the Lombardi line right here on Visa, the Sports Betting Network. 